Last week, last week we began a study in Jonah. And we looked at the first three verses of Jonah chapter 1, and we drew from those first three verses various lessons that apply to us as Christians, specifically fathers, because last week we celebrated Father's Day. Today, we're going to continue that study as we focus on Jonah's response, but more importantly, God's connection to that response and what he does in his dealings with Jonah. By way of recap, as you look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, we see how God instructed Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against them because their evil had risen up before the Lord. Now, because Jonah knew what the future held in connection to Assyria and connection to what Nineveh was going to do in the future regarding their dominance of Israel, that was a call that Jonah didn't want to do. That was a call that Jonah did not want to obey. So Jonah, with his knowledge of such things, of things to come, he chose to do two things. He chose to, one, knowing how forgiving, knowing how loving, knowing how merciful God is, he chose not to obey God because he knows what God is like. And two, I speculate him running away from his call and from his responsibility, judgment would come, up, come upon Nineveh, which will allow Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, to be free for just that little bit longer. Which is interesting, which is interesting because Jonah sees the forgiving, merciful, loving, gracious heart of God as a negative. He sees that as a negative, and he would be much more content if God saw the Ninevites the way he did. That's what Jonah was hoping for. Jonah, like some today, has overlooked this important fact. He saw an enemy deserving of, from Jonah's perspective, deserving of God's judgment, deserving of God's wrath, and completely failed to recognize that he is deserving of that same wrath, that he is deserving of that same judgment had it not been for the grace of God in his life as well. So this morning, let's open a word of prayer as we look at God's grace upon him, the enduring persistence of God's love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that through it all, it is well with our souls because our souls are held in your hand. We thank you so much that whatever goes on around us, you remain sovereign and you remain in control. We thank you that no one and nothing can pluck us from your grasp. And I pray that if we have run from you, if we have fleed from your calling, that you will stir in our hearts and continue to reveal to us your enduring, persistent love to draw us back to yourself. Please use me as your mouthpiece as we look into the word today and you reveal more of your greatness, more of your goodness, and more of your grace to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Have you ever noticed, I don't know whether you've done this, I don't know whether you know other people that do this, but have you ever noticed when somebody that doesn't feel like working goes to the extreme lengths not to do the work, the effort they put in not to do work, 
is probably more than them just actually doing the task in the first place. I don't know if you've known people like that. I know that I have done that in the past. But the resolve that you have to avoid doing a task is pretty full on. And I say this because when I look at Jonah and the extreme length he goes to to disobey God is, for want of a better word, pretty impressive. The lengths that he goes to shirk his responsibility of being God's prophet. So this morning, as we go through chapter 1 and touch on chapter 2, I want us to have these two things in contrast. What I call the determination of Jonah contrasted with the persistence of God. The determination of Jonah to disobey contrasted with the persistence of God and his love manifest toward him. Now, in verse 3, we read about how he flees Tarshish. And we read how Jonah goes to Joppa and he finds a ship that's going to Tarshish. Now, when you look at a map, you'll notice this, that where he was going is in completely the opposite direction from where God wanted him to go. And secondly, where he was going was about three to four times further than the distance it was to go to Nineveh. I, did, I looked on Google Maps, and I, I measured the distances. So you're looking at this. The comparison of where I am here at GCC and Castle Hill to get to Nineveh would be to go to Brisbane. So from here to Brisbane, that's what Jonah was asked to do. So from here to Brisbane, where Jonah was going was from here, GCC, to a little further than Perth. So you're looking at contrast, it's around, it's about 550 miles, I think I wrote it down here, about 890 kilometers versus around 2,600 kilometers. Those are the differences. So he was willing to go 2,600 kilometers away. Not only that, he was willing to pay money for that as well. There was a financial cost that he was willing to sacrifice. Such is the defiant heart or the determined heart of Jonah. You read in verse 3 this, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Bear that in mind, okay, that phrase here. From the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with, with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Twice that is mentioned in that verse, that he is trying to get away from the Lord's presence which we know cannot take place, cannot happen. Now, here's a thought. When God asks of me to go and do, or when God, God asks of me to submit and release something to him, when God asks of me to trust and obey him, I have noticed that I'd much rather go to the, the greatest of lengths to not do it and be willing to pay the price. Be willing to suffer the consequences, no matter how temporary that relief or that enjoyment may be. Such is the determination of Jonah. And it is here we see the first act of God's enduring persistence. You see, God could have cast Jonah to the side and raised up someone else. God is not limited by human resources. He's not limited by a lack. He's the, he's the owner of a cattle of a thousand hills. He's not limited by that. Everybody in the work of God, including myself, is expendable. And if nobody wants to do a particular task, then God will raise up somebody else. It's, that's just the reality of it. 
Remember, Jonah was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea. Could not have God called upon Hosea and Amos to take the message to Nineveh. Well, sure, he, he could have done that, but the enduring, persistent love of God is such as that he wants to teach Jonah something. He wants to grow Jonah, even in his defiance, even in his determination not to do it. And so the grace of God that acts in ways that are far higher than our ways, whose thoughts are far higher than our thoughts, this gracious God is knocking on the door of Jonah's heart by making himself known to him in a number of various ways. What's one of these ways? His command over nature. If you read in verses 4 and 5, I'm reading from the CSB. If you read verses 4 and 5, we read this. He's on the boat to go to Tarshish. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. It is of note that everybody here is aware that something is out of the ordinary regarding this storm. They all cry out to their gods. They all hope for reprieve of, of some sort. They're all reaching for something to help them in this terrible circumstance that has befallen them. Like I said, they cry, they pray, they call out. They do all within their human ability to deal with this situation. And this is just a glimpse of the extent that God is going to or desires to go to in the lives of people to get their attention. This is like the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to go for the one, that leaves those in order to rescue that one that may have gone astray in Matthew 18. And so his command over nature is demonstrated and used to make himself known, not only to Jonah, but to everybody on that boat. And when the weather isn't enough, then God takes the next step. Because you look at what Jonah does in response to this. Everybody knows something's going on, something's out of the ordinary. And I believe Jonah knew this as well. But the defiance within Jonah's heart is evident by what he does. If you read in verse 5, we read, Meanwhile, Jonah goes down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretches out and falls into a deep sleep. There's stuff going on. I think Jonah knows something's going on, but to ignore everything going on, he's going to go take a snooze. He's going to have a rest, and he's going to take things easy. Now, yeah, he may have been tired, but like a child that's not willing to listen to when someone's trying to speak to them, and you've done this, I know I've done this, when they put, this is Jonah spiritually putting his fingers in his ears and going, la, 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 I don't hear you. That's what he's doing right here. Except this now is reflected in the fact that Jonah is downstairs taking a kip. Such can be the determination of a, a stubborn, defiant heart. But such is the enduring persistence of God's love that he then, in his sovereignty, employs other people, even Gentiles, to do his work for him, to act on his behalf. It's like God calling Pharaoh to use in the life of Israel. He is not limited by people, and so it's the captain of the ship, 
that goes down, and you read this in verse 6. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up. There's that phrase again. Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. A Gentile captain, a foreign captain, awakens Jonah from his slumber and then directs Jonah to his God. How much of a signpost do you need? How much of a warning does Jonah need? The fact that this guy, who doesn't really know the God of Israel, calls Jonah to go to the God of Israel. How God is using this man to stir within Jonah's heart that whole word, repent. That whole word, repent. But God's employment of others goes even further than this. You carry on reading verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8. The sailors, come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? Once again, the group identify and hold Jonah accountable for his offenses against his God. If forcing him to acknowledge his sin against the God of Israel. And then we read in verses 9 to 12 this acknowledgement. He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Look at the self-awareness. Look at the knowledge Jonah knows and the situation Jonah has placed everybody in now. And I want you to notice something here. Jonah's solution to the problem is not, we've got to turn back to Joppa because I've refused God and I need to go back and fulfill that call. His solution isn't to, to pray before God and, and ask for forgiveness. His solution is not to repent. His solution is throw me into the sea. Get rid of me. It's, it's my, I know I can't fulfill it, but hey, it's my fault that everyone's like this. Then just get rid of me and everything will calm down. Now, I don't think this is speculation at all, but Jonah, if he's thrown into the sea, what can't he do? He can't go back and fulfill his call. If Jonah's thrown into the sea, he might even drown and die. Thus, he doesn't fulfill his call. He's thinking of ways that he can shirk that responsibility that God has placed on him. Such is the determination of a stubborn heart. And, and while you think I'm speculating here, the reality is that the rest of the sailors recognize this, and they say if they throw him into the sea, that he is going to die. And he, he's crazy. Read these verses with me. Okay, I know we're reading a lot. I'll, I'll get to the reasons why in a minute. In verses 14 to 16, we read this. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. 
And don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Verse 16, the men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Look at how people who have nothing to do with the God of Israel are the ones humbly responding to the God of Israel. Look at the ones that don't have anything to do with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the ones that are submitting themselves to, the ones recognizing, and the ones making promises to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The very people that should be obeying what God has called him to do is the one that is still running away. That is the one that has been defiant. That is the one being rebellious. That is the one being stubborn. It's almost like a parody. If you look at the Gospel Project, there's a, a wonderful video, but he also he terms it in the Gospel Project as almost being like satirical, where the ro- roles are reversed, where these Gentiles here are the ones that are looking at the God of Israel and, and treating him accordingly, and the ones that are supposed to are not. Once again, this is what God is doing in the life of Jonah because the enduring persistence of God and of his love is revealed once again to his rebellious servant that not only saves his life but also helps him to rethink his actions, helps him to repent from his, act, from his choices and to resume the calling placed on his life. And that is through the appointment of God's servant, the big fish. Oh, sorry, Australia, the big fish. Anyway, we read in verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the point of going through chapter 1 was to contrast the defiant, rebellious, determined, stubborn heart of Jonah with the long-suffering, merciful, compassionate, loving heart of God. To remind us that our God, who persistently chases after us, who, as as I'm wearing today, who passionately pursues us, and how in Christ lovingly deals with us in our defiance, that grows from our doubt, our defiance that grows from our doubt, the rebellion that stems from our uncertainty and our lack, and our lack, sorry, because of our failure to use or even recognize effectively the gifts granted to us in Christ to live in victory. That, maybe that's why, you see, chapter 2 is Jonah coming to a change of focus and it communicates God's grace toward him in being swallowed up by the fish because it's in here that we read the following. It is in here that we read of Jonah's change of perspective, of Jonah's change of focus. You read in verse 2, I called to the Lord in my distress. I cried out for help from you. And you answered and heard. In verse 4, we read, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. 
In verse 6, we read, Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. In verse 7, As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. And look at this change of focus in verse 9. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Here's where he learns. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it is in this moment, we read in verse 10, that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's so cool. Can you imagine? Jonah literally here is puke. Now, I want to remind you of something here. Jonah is in these depths as a result of his wrong choices. Even when the grace of God still reaches out to him, he must, he must still suffer the consequences of those bad choices. He is brought to the depths, yes. God's persistent, enduring love is reaching out to him continually. And his defiance, his rebellion, his stubbornness that is repeated over and over again, when he finally learns, I mean, that's wonderful, but he still has to suffer the consequences of that wrong choice. Sometimes we think that, okay, I've made a wrong choice and there won't be a consequence to it. Well, no, there will. There will still be a consequence to it. Yes, our sin has been paid for by Christ. Yes, we have been set free. And yet, though, we will still, if we make a wrong choice, suffer the consequences of that choice. It just appears that sometimes God needs to go to the extremist of lengths to get his children to listen. To, as I was talking with some people earlier on to this week, to shake us up as a church. If anything, you know, it was thanks to, to Nick and, and Joe, uh, the Finns, when they were sharing about even with what's going on here, if anything, with this distance we have between us, this should shake us up as a church. The fact that we're disconnected should shake us up as a church. The fact that we don't get to meet in person should shake, up us, shake us up as a church. This should shake us up as a church because we can't be around one another. It should shake us up to make more effort to be in contact with each other. It should shake us up. And so maybe God, in this moment, wants us to be shaken up. And if we're not, then perhaps we need to reassess. Perhaps we need to spend time in prayer. Perhaps we need to do away with things that keep us distracted from what is truly important. We need, maybe, to be brought down to the depths so that our eyes can be refocused above. We may need to suffer a consequence in order to be redirected and revived from those depths. But you can, you can also draw from that that you are loved by a great God. I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, it says this, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. For the Lord, we are told in Proverbs 3.12 and in Hebrews 12, for the Lord disciplines those that he loves. That's what makes me or excites my heart about this. Now, I, I don't know what you're doing at the moment. I don't know how much you're struggling with 
this current situation. I, I don't know what issues may have arisen in this situation. But with the issues faced, with the struggles that you have or the sin that is weighing on you, the enduring persistence of God's love continually reaches out to you. A persistence that Jonah eventually responds to, but he doesn't really learn from. And we'll look at that a little bit later on. Uh, but the focus for us as we read through this chapter and as we touched on chapter 2, the focus for us is this, that while all we like sheep have gone astray, that each of us have turned to our own way, that while we can be so easily, so easily ensnared by the sins and the weights that so easily trip us up, and while we do what Jonah did by thinking that we know better, while we do our fingers in our ears and going la, 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 so we don't hear what God is trying to teach us, we can be comforted by this knowledge. We need to know that like Jonah, even though we may run and try to shirk responsibility, he watches us. He watches us. Because he made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100 verse 3. That like Jonah, even though he ran, he guides us. Because, and we read in Romans 8.28, God can use all things to work together for good to those that love him. And that in that calling, he refreshes our souls that he guides us along right paths for his name's sake. Psalm 23, verse 3. And it may be through a storm, it may be through a neighbor, and maybe through a big fish. Whatever it may be, it is done so via the persistent endurance of God's love for you. Persistent endurance of God's love that is prodding you, that is prompting you, especially today when people appear to be growing largely apathetic, even within the church, toward the things of God. That we have become comfortable spiritually. And when we find ourselves falling into that mentality, when we find ourselves having that attitude of, of lethargy, of I just can't be bothered, or it's too difficult. We need to heed the call that was made through Haggai. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 7, consider your ways. In the CSB, it says, think carefully about your ways. Because if we, I like this from Zechariah 3, 7, if we walk in the Lord's ways, and if we keep his mandates, we will both rule in his house and take care of his courts. Or in other words, we will overcome victoriously. We will live above our circumstance. You see, the point is for us to look at our God who patiently and graciously and lovingly let Jonah know this reality. I know what you're doing. I know how you're feeling. I know where you're going. I know why you're going there. I understand why you're feeling the way that you are. But I will continue to knock on the door of your heart. Revelation 3.20. I'll continue to make myself known to you. 
I'll continue to continually remind you that I am here with you. That's what we need to be reminded of. He does not let us go exactly the same way that he did not let Jonah go. Jonah had a very important lesson to learn, which we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, but he wanted him to learn those things. That is what he's doing for us as well. The Lord does not let us go either. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I want you to memorize this verse. I want to read it one more time. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Here's a quote I like. Quote, never should we allow the shadow of familiarity to lessen the luster of this tremendous truth of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. Never should we become casual about the power and the great glory that is encased within the gospel of grace, which brought us out of a terrible pit and set our feet on the rock of our salvation. End quote. Never should we take for granted, just because we hear it week in and week out, never should we take for granted the fact that the creator of the universe, God himself in human flesh, came to give us life, came to deliver us from the pit, came to redeem us from captivity and experience true liberty and true freedom and true power. If the father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, and if the Lord Jesus was willing to be made sin for us to atone for our sins through a sacrifice on the cross, should we not then trust his word? Should we not then trust his instruction? Should we not then heed his counsel? Should we not then respond to his direction implicitly? Should we not? You see, this is God's grace upon Jonah as he experienced the enduring persistence of God's love. And this is God's grace upon us as we, in Christ, continually experience the enduring persistence of God's love too because God didn't spare anything from us. He gave us all blessings in all spiritual realms. That's what he has given us. That we will also graciously receive through Christ, receive through Christ all things in him too. In the light of this amazing truth, you and I today can praise. You and I today can thank. You and I today can ceaselessly worship him knowing that this step in our journey of God's enduring persistent love reflected in Christ will enable us to live a life within his everlasting grace. That's what we draw from Jonah today. That as defiant as we may be, 
as rebellious as we may reflect, as stubborn as we may be sometime, if we look at the love of God in Christ who gave us all the freedom and the liberty and the opportunity to be made new creations, then we can truly live in the victory that we have in Christ as well. So, with that, brothers and sisters, I want you to meditate on this now. Continue to read through Jonah. Continue to see what God teaches you through Jonah. And may they be more than just knowledge up here, but realities in the heart as well. So, I'm going to pray, and then we'll call it a day. And I would encourage you to get in contact with people as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Jonah. I thank you for your enduring, persistent love that chases the people that you love down. Thank you that you passionately pursue us in Christ. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to experience life and life in its fullness in Christ. Thank you that you've made us new creations in Christ. And whilst we may be uncertain at times and while we may be defiant and rebellious and while we may be stubborn, I thank you that you continually knock on the door of our hearts and inviting us to sup with you. May our hearts be sensitive. May our hearts be moldable. May our hearts be responsive to what you are trying to do in each of our lives, even in these times that are so uncertain. So we ask now that you will dismiss us as we commit this church, as we commit ourselves into your capable hands. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.